0: Hello and welcome to our sermon series, Switch. Trevor will be leading us in the third part of this series called From Looking Backward to Pressing Forward. Enjoy. I want to invite you into a conversation that we were having in our family the other night. Uh, Someone I used to be in church with years ago uh, forwarded a video link to my brother who then forwarded it to me. And it was a video of baptisms, baptisms that took place in 1984. It was back in the church that I was part of when I was young, I'd have been 12 in 1984. And it was the first baptisms that took place in the church that we were in. And this is wonderful footage I could see at my dad and my mum all those years ago. How many years is 84? That's nearly, nearly oh wow, 36 years ago. It's quite some time and uh, so I got to see this footage and I just loved watching it and we showed some of that um, to Annie and Chris and Megan the other night and as we were showing this video it was quite short we come across some video footage of two people being baptized a couple called Joy and Jim. Joy and Jim were neighbors of my mum and dad and they had become Christians Uh, through the conversations that mum and dad had had with Joy and Jim. And as they came to faith, this was a video of them being baptised. But it led me to talk about the story of Joy and Jim. Because within a year of Joy and Jim coming to Christ, deciding to give their lives to him, something happened in Jim's life. Jim had two brothers. Uh, One brother was a police officer. The other brother was a bank robber. And one day, both brothers decided to pay Jim a visit. And as they were there in his front room, both brothers start talking to each other about their work. The bank robber starts talking to the police officer about inside knowledge that he needs to do his bank job. And at that point, Jim thinks, this is not a conversation that I want to be part of. So Jim goes and makes a cup of tea. Thinks, I'm a Christian, I can't have anything to do with this. Well, after his brothers left and he had avoided the whole conversation, the police knocked on Jim's door and they arrested Jim. They'd actually arrested all three brothers. And when they come to question Jim, they said to Jim, Jim, why were your brothers in your house? What were they talking about? And it would have been easy for Jim to say, I don't know. But he did know. And so he said, well, they were having this conversation about robbing banks and I didn't want anything to do with it. So I left and went into the kitchen. And that admission led him to court, led him to court for a charge of conspiracy to rob. And his brief, his solicitor, everyone was saying to him, all you need to do is say, I didn't hear a thing. But Jim had recently become a Christian. Jim knew he shouldn't lie. And so Jim told the truth and he went to jail. He got sentenced to 18 months in prison for conspiracy. And his brothers got convicted as well. They got longer jail terms. Uh, Because his was short, he wasn't eligible for parole. Because they were longer, they were. His brothers got out of prison before Jim. And through that, much bigger story that I could tell you about another time, through that, Jim was able to witness in prison. He was able to speak into that place where people were like, what are you crazy, Jim? Why did you not just say you didn't hear anything? Would give an inroad for him to be able to talk about his faith. And also, Joy, who was stuck on the outside with her husband in prison, was able to meet up with other prisoners' wives and share her faith. And so many people come to faith through Jim's honesty. Anyway, we were telling this story to the family, and we got to talking about how sometimes you hear other people's faith, the faith of like Jim, or maybe if you were in our service a few weeks ago, where we were talking about the persecuted church, and those who have been in prison for their faith. And you hear these stories and you think, this is like on another level. These are like super Christians. I'm not sure I could live up to that. Well, it's with that thought in mind that we enter this week's sermon. We are in week three of our series called Switch. And the Switch today is talking about switching from looking backwards to pressing forwards. And as we reach into the book of Philippians, we reach a part where it would be easy for us to equally be intimidated. Paul has been preaching through the book of Philippians, through his letter to the church in Philippi. And he's speaking about how much he's laying his life down for Christ, how much he's willing to die for him, how to live his Christ and to die his gain, how he's not stuck on earth but he's destined for heaven, how he's, he's ready to die for Christ. And you could hear all that and go, this is Christianity on another level. But I want to read to you what it says. We're going to read from Philippians chapter three, verses 12 to 16, because Paul wants to reground people in reality. And he starts with this in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it known, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, You know, Paul gets to this part where in verse 12 he says, you know what, I'm not finished yet. I'm not the finished article, he's saying, and we are not finished articles yet. If you've been following online these services for the last two weeks, we've had two weeks of gospel truth, two weeks of really preaching the gospel of how we are not saved through our works and we are saved by grace, how we have given up everything but we have gained Christ. And hearing all that can be overwhelming, like, wow, these, these, these saints of old have really got it together. But Paul wants to tell you that he's not perfect. You know, Paul's written so much of the New Testament. Outside of the Gospels, most of the letters that we read in the New Testament are written by Paul. It's easy to preach an awful lot of the New Testament and say, Paul says this, and Paul says that, and Paul says the other. I find myself saying a lot, especially as we work through Philippians. But this Bible, this truth is not the gospel of Paul. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Paul says, you know what, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. He says, not that I've already obtained this, or am I already perfect? He knows he's not perfect. He's admitted that, he says that. We outside of our church, as many of you know, have that sign that says, no perfect people allowed. And Paul would be just as welcome in our church as you and I are. Paul looks and says, that's just the church for me. I am not perfect. I have not reached the standard of Christ Jesus. I am not, the, I'm not living the life that Christ Jesus led. I'm not laying my life down that much. I aspire to, I'm aiming for that, but I am not there yet. And it's a great, wonderful truth that Paul's preaching, which is one that joins all of us that says, you know what, I'm not perfect, you are not perfect, Paul is not perfect. And whoever you might look to and go, wow, what a super-Christian, let me tell you, they're not perfect either. And the challenge with recognising that we're not perfect is there's this danger zone that we rest in that and we go, hey, nobody's perfect. Paul has a wonderful way of balancing these things because he looks and says, it's not that I'm already made perfect. I'm not perfect, but whenever you read a but in the Bible, it's worth really stopping and going, what is the but there for? It's there for him to say, but I press on to make it my own. I am not perfect, he says, but I'm not resting in that place. I'm not going to stand by and say, yeah, I'm not perfect either. I am going to press on. He says, I want to become more like Christ Jesus. Paul does a great job in this letter, as as he does in many of his letters, talking about where he wants to be. He speaks positively about his willingness to lay down his life, but he also speaks honestly and says, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I aim to be, and I'm not there yet. And you and me, we're in good company with Paul. Because each and every one of us can say, I'm not there yet. But I pray this morning, especially each and every one of us can not only just say, I'm not there yet, but I press on. That's what this morning is all about. It's about this switch from looking backwards to pressing forwards. Because Jesus is so much more interested in your direction of travel than where you are on the journey. And we say that again, you need to understand this, Jesus is so much more interested in the direction of travel than where you are on the journey. We're all on the journey towards being made perfect. And what's important is which direction we're traveling, are we going backwards or are we going forwards? And sometimes we can feel like we're making such slow progress. But Jesus is interested in the direction that we're facing. Paul says, I'm not perfect, but I press forward. Look at verse 13 where he starts. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. This made it my own. He's talking about this perfection. I don't consider that I've made this perfection something that I can completely own, something I can say, Hey, I'm perfect. He's repeating that he's not perfect. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. This week's sermon, I, I had um, thoughts. Very creative thoughts in the lead up to this of how I could communicate this. I preach so often in this room and I have a great desire to actually preach on location to really bring it to life. And I I didn't really manage to pull it off this week so it's just me in this room. But one of the locations that I wanted to think about how I could preach from was actually from within a car. It might have got a bit claustrophobic. I might not have been able to um, use my hands as much as I like to in a preach, but I had this vision of sitting in a car. For those of you who are car drivers, you know as you sit in the car driving seat, you have the whole windshield in front of you looking out, and then this thing up in the corner called a rearview mirror. And that rearview mirror enables you to look at what is behind you. And Paul says, One thing I do forgetting what lies behind. You know, I've discovered some things about a rear-view mirror. I've discovered some things that it distorts. The rear-view mirror is not exactly in perspective as things really are. Some even have those words written on it, you know, objects in the the mirror can appear closer than they are or can appear further. And there can be a distortion that happens as we look through life through a rear-view mirror. What we see behind us is not exactly in perspective. It distorts it. Also, everything's a little bit back to front when you look backwards because it's all flipped around when you look in the mirror. So our rear view mirror, it distorts the view that we see. But as a driver, it also distracts you. I don't know if you've experienced this as a driver, when you're driving along and someone behind you is hassling you, driving erratically, whatever, something's going on behind and you keep keep looking up in the rear view mirror and it becomes a distraction. Your eyes are meant to be on the road ahead. But instead, the rear view becomes this distraction. It distorts and it distracts. And in reality, looking behind you is actually unhelpful for where you need to go. The only time the rear view mirror is ultimately helpful is when you're reversing. That's when the rear view mirror is really helpful. When we're going forward, that rear view mirror is distorting, it's distracting, and it's unhelpful. And it's so true about what Paul is saying. He says, I forget what lies behind it's a distortion when i look backward it's distorted and it's distracting and it's unhelpful he's saying don't don't let the past define who you are you know the rearview mirror is there to glance in paul isn't saying completely forget become amnesia have amnesia about your past about what's gone on before he's not saying that but he's saying i'm forgetting what lies behind i'm not making that the defining factor. The rearview mirror is meant to be glanced in, not to define us. And I don't know what is in your rearview mirror. Paul knows. Paul's described it in the last few chapters. He's talked about the great things he's done, his heritage, uh, his, um, his Pharisaical upbringing, how he was, you know, brought up with the law and understood the Bible really well. He also talks about how he persecuted the church. And some of the Jewish people would see that as a credential. But in reality, that's not Paul's finest moment. Paul looks back on that. That's the thing that Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus and said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus didn't look and say, well done, Paul, for persecuting my church. Paul would have become friends with people who were friends with Stephen. Stephen, the man that Paul had a hand in seeing stoned to death. Paul did not have a glossy past to look back on. I think he had what all of us have. It reminds me of a film, when I say this, some of you will know the film I'm talking about. Sometimes we have things that are good in our past. Sometimes we have things that are bad in our past. And if you know the film I'm referring to, sometimes we have things that are ugly in our past. And I don't know what's in your past. There may be things that you're tempted to look back on that are good. Things you go, these are my credentials. These are the things that I, I'm, I'm a good Christian. God should love me because of this. And we've spoken about that for the past few weeks that our, our righteousness is filthy rags. Robin explained about that last week. So the good things aren't worth us holding on to in our past. And there may be bad things, there may be atrocious sins. Things that you look back and as you remember them, you you feel such a sense of shame. And they may be the things that the enemy wants to accuse you of and remind you of and tell you, hey, don't forget you used to do this and this is who you were. And don't don't get me wrong, that past doesn't have to be 10 years ago. That past can be this morning. That past can be yesterday. Things that have happened that we look back on and go, they're bad. I shouldn't have done that. That's not the way I should have lived, that's not the, the things that I want everyone to know about me. You can have things in your past that are bad as well as good. And you can have things that are ugly, hurts that have been done to you, injustices, abuse, dreadful things that have happened that have been ugly in your life that have sought to define and shape you and, and, and make you the person you are. And Paul says, I'm going to forget what lies behind. I'm going to forget the good stuff. It's not the, sta- it's not the ground on which my salvation stands. I'm going to forget the bad stuff because Christ Jesus has forgiven me and set me free. And I'm going to forget the ugly stuff because he's healed me and restored me. And my father, no matter what injustice has been done to me, my father loves me and he cares for me. He says, don't be defined by your past." He says this thing, it's interesting, he says, but one thing I do. Now, don't get it wrong, he doesn't mean there's only one thing he does in life. What he means is, this thing I really focus on doing. I'm really focused, I'm resolute. I'm determined, he says, one thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna make sure that I'm gonna forget my past and I'm gonna press forward. We'll get to the press forward bit in a second. One thing I wanna say. Make it a ambition, a drive, a determination, a one thing for you that says, I am going to let go of my past. I'm gonna make this a daily mission. For some of you are held by your past. Make this a goal that says, this one thing I do is to leave the past behind. I will not let the good things in my past become something that I think I can be puffed up about. They're filthy rags. I'm not going to let the sins of my past, of yesterday, of last week, of last year, of 10 years ago, of my childhood, I'm not going to let those sins define me. Christ has forgiven me. And I'm not going to let the ugly things done to me tell me who I am, because Christ says who I am. He says I'm loved, he says I'm whole, he says I'm valuable, he says I'm worthy, he says I'm adopted into his family. That is who I am, not what my past says I am. With this one thing I do, this one thing I focus on, I'm gonna make sure that I am gonna leave my past behind. So we stop looking forwards. And Paul says, one thing I do, and then he says two things, because <laughs> they're part and parcel of the same thing. This one thing I do is a forgetting what lies behind and a pressing forward. He says, I forget what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call. I press on, wowee you know another metaphor that i wanted uh, or visual example i wanted to do in this sermon i, I had this vision of trying to find a racetrack like a um, not a driving racetrack a, a running running track and i was trying to think was there somewhere i could go where i could stand on a running track and preach this sermon just so you could visually continually be reminded by this image that paul gives of like an athlete i wanted to be on this almost kind of in, in, in eyesight of the finish line. I don't know how much athletics you watch, whether it's, uh, when it's the Olympics here, we probably watch a bit more, but I wanted to get this picture because if you see athletes running in a race, you see the look on their face, the focus they have, and every part of their body is running and pressing on. These language that Paul uses, he says, I press on. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it mine, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward. Not ambling forward, not strolling forward, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal, I press on. These words of straining and pressing on, you get this image of of this isn't passive. This isn't where we sit back and go, hey, God will have his way. It's a active effort that says, I am gonna be focused on this. This this language around one thing and pressing on and straining forwards. You get this whole picture like an athlete and there's so much we can learn from athletes. Um, There's a lot I could learn from athletes. I have great admiration for them. But we are spiritual athletes. A couple of weeks ago, I said we're soldiers in the army. It's the one metaphor, it's true. Another metaphor is we're athletes running. And when you watch anybody who says, you know what, I don't just casually run, I don't just casually do athletics, I am an athlete. Their whole life is focused, it's disciplined, it's focused, they consider the diet they take in the sleep they get, the energy they have, the exercise routine they go through, the discipline that's required on that. And Paul is using this example of athletes because he wants to draw upon that. This is two thousand years ago, but don't don't uh, yeah don't misunderstand. They were just as competitive, <laughs> just as focused on winning the prize, on running the race. Paul uses this example about running the race so often. And we got so much to learn from athletes who focus and discipline their lives. Paul says, One thing I do is I forget what's in the rearview mirror and I press on. I'm straining forwards. And don't forget, this, this is in the book of Philippians. We've been going through it for quite a few weeks. And so just think back to just a couple of chapters ago, but it'll be a number of weeks ago for us, where I preached about how um, I, I, uh, he says, well, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling for it's christ who's at work within me he's got this mixture that says it is my effort there's a human effort here i'm not passive but i'm not doing it in my own strength it's christ at work within me and so when paul uses this language he's only a couple of chapters later he's not forgotten entirely that christ is at work and so as you hear these words about pressing on and straining on and discipline and focus don't think this is like hey, you've got to do it all by yourself. We're doing this in the strength that Christ gives us. It, his power at work within us, driving us forward. And it comes from an inner drive, and I know it comes from an inner drive because look at what Paul says in the next verse. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. He's saying, you know what, as you grow in Christ, as you mature in him, this becomes a way of thinking. Because Christ has taken hold of you. But he says, you know, if, anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. And I want to say to you, a great encouragement. If you're hearing this and going, yeah, that's not the way my life is wired. I don't really make this my priority. You keep following Jesus. You allow him to reveal it to you. He will plant that desire within you giving you the desire to do what pleases him. Ah, it's my prayer for every single person in the church that we have this spirit-filled transformation within us that says, I'm driven, I'm straining forward, I'm making this my goal. And again, let me remind you what I said earlier. It's the direction of travel. We're all pressing forwards. I don't know if you've ever seen a marathon like the London Marathon, I know we didn't have it this year, but you know, everybody is straining forwards in the marathon. I get that some people pass the finish line sooner, but don't tell me people aren't working. Everybody is working forwards to get to the finish line, and some take hours, but you see the determination in their eyes as they take every single difficult step, and we cheer them. We cheer them because we know the effort that's going on. We know the focus that's going on. And whether they did it in three hours or 30 hours, they have worked. They have they've pressed on. And so I would say, you know, Christ is at work in us. And he's at work in us to drive us forward for a prize ahead. We hear this word prize a few times in here. He says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. There is a heavenly prize there's a heavenly prize waiting for the runner waiting for the athlete and Paul's saying you know what I am pressing on to reach that finish line I want to reach heaven I want to reach heaven and hear the words of God say well done good and faithful servant it's a funny thing this uh, thing about this heavenly prize because The Bible has got um, a few different verses, I'm not gonna go through them, but there's a number of verses where it talks about different wreaths and crowns that we get presented. And I've always found it fascinating when people um, get, uh, I'm very obsessed would be too strong a word, but get focused on these different wreaths and different crowns, and what are these different crowns? Because what strikes me is, there's the greatest prize ever, which is eternity with Christ. Every one of us who are saved, every one of us who have committed our life to Jesus and call ourselves a follower of Jesus and give our lives to him, every one of us, receive that prize. That prize is already won. It's already in the bank. Now, there may be wreaths, there may be crowns, but I don't think anything any of us are gonna get is gonna compare to the reality that we get eternity staring into Jesus' face. We get to live in the glory of God. We get to live in His heavenly realm where there's no sin and no death and no pain and no tears and there's joy and unity and love and the kingdom of God at its finest. That is the greatest prize ever. But think about it, that prize has already been won. So it's funny, isn't it, that Paul is straining forward to win a prize that's already been won. I want to share with you something that's uh, happened in my my work life uh, in the last few weeks that I think really brings this to life. I'm immensely privileged that God has provided me with a job um, that I only have to work three days a week, that provides enough financial income so that I can uh, work for the church and support my family uh, without the church having the massive financial burden of that. The church do pay me, and many of you know that, but you know the, the, the work I do in my three-day-a-week secular job is a provision from God that's enabled me to do that. And I'm also immensely blessed that the organisation I work for has a bonus scheme. Not every organisation does, and in the current climate, I realise that that is immensely privileged whilst others are facing furlough and potential job losses. I realise how blessed I am. And so in an organisation that has a bonus system, a culture develops where people work hard and work harder to earn the bonus. And the bonus is a, a very much a race. Um, only a few people get the really big bonus who run fastest, who work hardest, who put the extra work in. And so it creates a culture of what they call performance-driven pay, you know, so that people increase their performance to get more extra money when it comes to bonus time. That's the organisation, culture I uh, work in. It's very common in the financial sector. And uh, I've tried not to make sure that, I've, tr- I've tried to make sure that I don't make finances my goal. That I work hard for the Lord. That I work hard to honour him, um, but that I don't sell myself out uh, and work all the hours that I possibly could depriving the church of that time just to get the extra bonus at the end of the year. And I, I pray that I do that in the right balance. Well, this year, um, the organisation made a surprise announcement, which was that because of coronavirus, because lots of people have been impacted in different ways, some people have been looking after children at home whilst trying to work, some people have been sick or caring for people sick, some people have been bereaved, whilst others have been more available and have worked excessive hours in order to keep things afloat and keep things working, because the whole organisation has been impacted in different ways. They decided that it's not an easy thing to judge how do you you evaluate people's performance when all those different factors are going on. And so what they announced just a couple of weeks ago was that there would be a flat rate bonus. And they announced to everybody, if you're in this grade or this grade, this is the bonus that you will receive next year come bonus time. Whether you've worked super hard or been off sick a lot, whether you've put in the extra hours or been at home looking after children, wherever your situation, this is the flat rate bonus. And the aim of that is to even it out make it fair for all these different factors and to um, also alleviate stress of people worrying oh you know um, you know what will it be like next year and uh, I find it just an amazing example of grace here I am along with a number of you know thousands of other people knowing that next year there is a, a bonus a prize waiting for me and whether I now did the minimum effort, or whether I now did the maximum effort, that prize is the same. And I look at that and go, wow, this is, this is like grace. Everything in me that says I work unto the Lord says I don't want to now slack off, because there is a prize waiting for me next year that I want to honour. I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to just assume it. I don't want to, to, I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to be dishonorable. I, I want to give my very best. I want to work my very hardest. I want to do everything I can do. And I think it's the same attitude as Paul's got here. Paul's like, I know the prize is there. I know I'll reach the finish line. One day, Paul will die. He did die. But when Thomas Paul's writing, he's like, one day, I'm going to die. And when I do, I'm going to reach the finish line. And I'm going to receive the prize. But until that day comes, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on to take hold of it. And, um, and I'm praying that I maintain that attitude throughout, certainly, this next six months. Because I want to be as honourable uh, in my work life as I am, as Paul talks about in the spiritual life here. The, the fact that you and I have already gained the prize, we will we'll be with Christ. We'll receive, oh, riches, just treasure galore of just being with Christ. Because we've already received it, doesn't mean that we don't, press on and strain forward and do everything in our power to be more christ-like to be perfected to be transformed to be disciplined to be focused because we're not trying to earn the prize the prize is by grace we didn't deserve it anyway we're not running this race so that we can earn something we've already been given it that is the gospel message isn't it we've already been given it and he closes with this verse 16 where he says only let us hold true to what we have attained and when i read those words i think you can take that two ways i think probably the most obvious way of receiving it is don't let's go backwards you know we're all moving forward in our christian faith and there's sins that we've started to leave behind and and disciplines and routines we've started to get in our life and and so he's saying hold true to what you've already attained wherever you've got to in your christian life keep that going well i also read it that we hold true to what we've already attained. We've already attained Christ's righteousness. It's already been given to us. The day you gave your life to Christ, you were clothed in his righteousness. The day you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to take his residence inside you. You've already attained this. So let us hold true to these things. We are not seeking to earn them. We're leaving our past behind and we're pressing forwards because Christ has already taken hold of us. He says it right at the very beginning. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, I press on because Christ has already got hold of me because he's already captured my heart because he's already declared me son and daughter because he's already called me righteous because he's already clothed me in his holiness. Because of that, I'm going to leave the past behind and I'm going to press on to receive the prize ahead of me wow let's pray we all have that attitude let's pray together lord fill us with this attitude i pray fill us with this attitude lord that we would know that you have already purchased us lord that you have already taken hold of us and that, lord you have already secured the finish line and the prize ahead and with that in mind with that sinking deep within us, Lord, may we leave our past behind and may we press on. And Lord, I want to particularly pray this morning, Lord, for anyone who currently feels really gripped by their past. Lord, for those who are gripped by the sins of their past, things that they readily remember they did wrong, they know they were wrong, they wish they hadn't done them and they haunt them. I pray, Lord Jesus, they would be released from that past, set free from that, that the reality that they are forgiven, that they are accepted into your family, that reality would sink deep into their heart and their mind. And Lord, I also want to pray for those whose past is ugly, who have been wounded, who have been scarred, who have been attacked or abused or misused or mistreated. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to heal them continue to let them know that that is the past and you are the god of new beginnings lord that they don't have to be defined or constrained by their past but they have been set free lord i pray there'll be a release now in jesus name amen